0: And so there was a time when Justice, his his name is Justice, was eight years old. We're teaching him about entertainment and how the more of it you have, it causes you to be dull spiritually. And one day we were just in a live stream moment and he just came out with this profound statement. And he said, well, the more entertained you are in the flesh, the more bored you'll be in the spirit. The Profile with Premier Christianity Magazine.
1: Hi, and welcome to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio. I'm Emma Fowle. The Profile is a show where we sit down with a well known Christian to hear more about their life, their faith, and their ministry. It is brought to you in association with Premier Christianity, the UK's leading Christian magazine. For more interviews just like this one, all of the latest news, reviews, columnists, and more, Head over to premierchristianity.com forward slash podcast for your exclusive half price subscription offer. Today on the show, I'm delighted to be joined by James Aladrian, the leader of Prayer Storm. James has a passion for prayer that is both infectious and inspiring. So if you are looking for some prayer wisdom, want to know how to get young people involved in prayer or are wondering how to push through when you just don't feel like praying, you are not going to want to miss this one. You're listening to The Profile. As we get started, I was just wondering if you could tell us a little bit to start with about your backstory. What was your life like growing up? Did you grow up in a Christian home? Did you find Jesus in another way? Tell us your story.
0: Yeah, so um, I was born into a Christian family, my parents missionaries and um I'm half Nigerian, half Ghanaian, uh, so my dad is from Nigeria, my mom is from Ghana, I was born in Liberia, and that's because my dad was a missionary to Liberia, and was a missionary to Ghana, that's why I met my mom, and um, so we were in Liberia for some years and then moved to Nigeria, uh, and so when I was 17, I uh, moved to the UK, moved to Manchester, and I've been in Manchester since, and so that was 2001 um so i kind of been around church and been around you know things of God but you know ministry wasn't something I was kind of uh, eager to be a part of let's just say
1: <laughs> are you a typical missionary kid did you grow up kind of being like I'm not going to do anything like that I, see I, the thing is, I don't actually
0: know what a typical missionary kid is and I don't know <laughs> what the kind of general disposition of missionary kids are anyway all I know is it was just like okay well I don't I I don't feel like I, I want to be in ministry I don't feel like I want to do that kind of thing now having haven't been around the church for all these years I realized oftentimes it seems to me like when people get saved and they get they become part of the church like their goal is to be on the platform and preach and so there's always this kind of oh they they just want to serve God they feel like the best way to do that is to be a preacher well maybe because I'd been around that all my life that. Each to preach wasn't there it was like I've, I've been around that long enough i don't really want to do that <laughs> so the fact that i ended up doing this is actually a miracle in fact i hated public speaking to start with so you know it, it's a it's a miracle i'm doing what i'm doing right now
1: and, and why did you move to the uk what brought that move about
0: yeah it, really my dad uh was pastoring in uh, in nigeria for some time and you know the church was doing well and things were you know what most people call success, he felt the Lord speak to him and say, I've not called you to be a pastor here. I've called you to be a missionary. And so uh, long story short, the Lord started speaking to him about the UK and giving him uh, words and visions about a move of his spirit that he was wanting to release in the UK. And so my dad had to leave that denomination and uh, step out in faith and move to Manchester. Uh, and so I came with my dad in, I think it was July of 2001, um, and it was basically on the word of the Lord that he wanted to move in this nation and that we were called to be a part of that move. My dad had these visions, uh, and he saw lots of young people just encountering God and just being so radical on fire for God. Uh, and he, at the time, thought it was something that God was going to do through him. Uh, And so because of the nature of the visions the Lord showed him, he knew that a lot of it was going to be connected to the people of the land. So when we came to the uh, to the UK, we started getting involved with uh, churches here, you know, so I served in different churches that we got to be a part of uh, and was was part of that. Well, as it turned out, the visions the Lord was showing my dad ended up being what I'm doing right now. So, so he thought it was him, but actually it was me all along. And so that scripture in Joel 2.28 that says, um, uh, you know, old men dream dreams, young men see visions. Uh, that became a reality where, uh, you know, my dad had a dream, I had a vision. So it's like God started to do this kind of multi-generational thing where what he was doing with my dad kind of passed on. And that vision carries on uh, just contending for a move of God. Uh, with the youth, and you know, seeing God move across the United Kingdom.
1: And what was it like for you as a seventeen-year-old to 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 go through that move from Africa to Manchester? In terms of like the church culture, was it different? How oh, how yeah, did it?
0: Yeah, yeah, very love different. It? Yes, yes. I think a lot of uh, culture shock things that you just kind of get used to with time. But it was very different, and I think a part of me was excited about the move. Um, everything was new. Getting used to, you know, uh, you know, even accents and how people speak, and it, 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 every everything was completely new. The church culture, the the emphasis, the preferences was different. Now, what I didn't realize was because I was born on the mission field, I actually have mission in me. And I think to be a true missionary, you learn the culture, you learn people, you understand how they talk, you understand how to speak, you get into their kind of way of thinking. And it just seems so natural for me. And for some of my other friends that moved over from Nigeria, my Nigeria, or maybe other nations that moved to the UK, over the years, I've realized what came naturally to me didn't quite come naturally to them. And I just... Trying to understand why that's the case, because I just found it so easy to learn and to build relationships. And my best friends at college were atheists and just sharing my faith with them and just building bridges. And it, it just came so naturally to me. And so I enjoyed it, actually.
1: And did you find it a challenge? Um, You know, I've heard other people coming from African countries saying they they found it a real challenge, the different ways you have to share your faith here in the UK. You know, we we, we don't have such a sort of outwardly Christian culture here anymore. Did you find that a challenge or did you just think, this is great, I'm going to get stuck in? Well,
0: because when I came to the UK, I think my kind of first kind of connect with culture and people and society was college. I went to college. And so... It was just natural for me to talk about what I did at the weekend. So because like, <laughs> there is like, oh, what have you done this weekend? And it's they're like, oh, I went to I went, I was like, oh, yeah, I went to church. And they're like, OK. And so obviously, <laughs> <laughs> so it was just natural to talk about that. And so, you know, my best friend at college was an atheist. And so it was just natural to talk about God. And so he thought I was crazy for believing in God. And I thought he was crazy for not believing God is real. <laughs> but we had a great relationship. You know, and you know, the funny thing after college, you know, some years after that, you go into some, you know, difficult situations and, you know, you know, I haven't spoken to him for many years. He, he guess who he, he calls for prayer calls goes for help, you know? So, you know, I had a really good time. So I didn't really find it a struggle. What I found interesting was how godless the society was. I found that more baffling, but I didn't find it a struggle to integrate and to share my faith. And, you know, I, I think it just came very natural.
1: Yeah. so was there a point in your life where you actually became a christian or was it just you know you grew up in such a christian environment that it just it was always there for you yeah
0: you know like many people who brought me christian homes like my son right now he's 10 uh he's been coming with me to different like meetings when i'm preaching and he answers every altar call pretty much <laughs> so I was kind of like that way I don't know how many times I go saved as a <laughs> you know answering all to God. but I would say a defining moment uh was when I when I was in Nigeria I went to boarding school and so you know it's kind of like you stay away from home and you know you, you kind of just are away from your parents and everyone and so um it was it was there I started to really take my faith serious because I didn't have to go to the chapel or be part of anything religious because my parents were not there to kind of get me to go to church so i found god for myself there i realized i wanted to know god it wasn't something that i was being forced to do so i remember a, a like a defining moment where i decided you know what i actually do want to have a, a close relationship with god i don't just want to read about him i just don't want to hear about him i want to i want to know him for real and so that desire for intimacy became a uh, I guess a hunger a draw that started to push me to see God more so maybe when I was around the age about 11 12 I think I started to take my faith more seriously from that point
1: yeah and where did prayer storms start to exist either as a dream or a vision or you know you you've been doing this thing for a while now yeah where did that come from
0: So, uh, again, it's just all a surprise to me because I didn't see myself uh, leading prayer or even a prayer ministry. Um, Well, what happened was I was at a university, Salford University, uh, and uh, maybe in my second year, I um, came across um, a ministry in America called The Ramp. And um, I just stumbled on it on the internet and just saw some of their services and I was really impacted by the authenticity I was feeling from the videos of just how passionate the young people were in their pursuit of God. And I remember just being impacted on my face and on my, on my in my um, accommodation at the university just weeping and praying, saying, Lord, you know I want to see this in Manchester. So when I uh, finished university in 2007, Uh, I took some time out to fast and pray, just seeking God. In fact, actually, prior to that, I was watching one of their uh, live streams and I heard them uh, talk about 40-day fast that they were going to be going on. and I just felt stirred to go on that fast and I went on the Daniel fast. And so in that same time I finished university, I decided to visit the ramp for uh, their summer gathering. Um, Now, while I was having some time fasting and praying before I went over to the ramp, which is in Hamilton, Alabama, I started to feel the Lord stir this scripture in my heart. Joel 2, 28. uh, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh in the last days. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. So this was stirring in my heart in this time of fasting. And by the way, I'd taken some time out to go to a Christian retreat center just to pray to seek God. And this was one of the key things that was in my heart as I came away from that. Time. And so from that, I went to America to this youth gathering. And um during the conference, uh, the lady who leads the conference, she's called Karen Wheaton. She started the ramp. And uh a spontaneous moment uh, happened when she just came up on the platform and said, Oh, there's some young people that have come all the way from Manchester for this gathering. Uh, and so she invited me and two of my friends who were with me. She invited us to the platform. And by the way, this was all spontaneous. I had no idea this was going to happen. And so she said, "Oh, you know, uh, a few." So she shared of an experience she would had in Manchester, which I didn't really know much of. She had this experience in Manchester where uh, she was here for a crusade, and the Lord ended up stirring her heart for the youth of this of this region because she ended up seeing lots of young people on the streets drunk. It was like freshers fair and, you know, lots of students in the clubs and all that. So she's just fascinated and they were intrigued because she, she was uh, talking to them. They were intrigued because of a, a Southern American accent. And so, um, uh, you know, they, they said, so what are you doing here in Manchester? She said, I'm a singer. So they said, sing for us. And so she sings this worship song for them. And basically the presence of God shows up. They instantly sober up out in tears and asking her for prayer. Now, this happens prior to 2007. So she then goes back from that experience in Manchester. She goes back to the ramp in Hamilton, tells them of her experience here. And so they start to pray for God to move in Manchester. So fast forward, 2007, I show up from Manchester and they're like, how did you show up in this place? Like Hamilton is like, uh, I guess, a town of like 5,000, 7,000 people in the middle of nowhere, literally in Alabama. So, they're like, you know, how come you're in this place of all places to come to in America? You come to Hamilton, Alabama. Anyway, so she invites me on the platform, shares what I just shared with you and then said, you know, James, do you want to greet the people? So she gave me the microphone. And I start to share what was on my heart, Joel 2, 28. I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. But as I'm sharing this, I just felt the presence of God come in a unique way. And it fell on me. That's the best way to describe what happened. And next thing I know, I fall on the floor and I'm just groaning and weeping and crying out to God for revival in the United Kingdom. The whole meeting just erupted. It was literally like an explosion took place in the spirit because all these teenagers, by the way, there was like probably 1,200 teenagers, all these teenagers just crying out to God for for revival in the UK for the next 30 minutes. The whole meeting erupts in this time of prayer. Now, that moment basically unlocked the next season of my life because I had no idea that it was really a God orchestration. Um, now, I go back to the UK um, I just finished university. I didn't have a job. So I was spending lots of my time just praying and seeking God. And one day I'm praying and I heard a name and I, I guess I, it was a word of knowledge because I didn't even know who she was. I'd never met her before. I just heard a name as I'm praying. The name was Deborah Green. And I didn't know that Deborah Green was actually, uh, one of the pioneers of prayer in the city and of Manchester. So as I hear this name in my head, I felt to search for her on Google Thank God for Google. So I searched Deborah Green, Manchester. And so I failed to send the video of the young people praying in uh, Alabama. So I sent it to her office or the email that I saw on the website. I didn't think much of it. Well, weeks later, what I didn't realize was she saw the video or a PA sent it to her. She saw it was really impacted by it. She sent it to a guy called Andy Hawthorne. He saw the video, was really impacted by it. Andy Hawthorne leads a significant ministry here in Manchester called the Message Trust. And so he decided to play that video at their Message Trust prayer day. And so it's they have these prayer days once a month with staff and volunteers. It's like a whole day, you know, uh, uh, working day, like from 9 to 4 or 5 p.m. And so basically he played the video and the same thing that happened in Hamilton, Alabama, happened in the meeting when he played the video. People were weeping and just... Burden for revival and crying out to God for the for the for the nation. So obviously now they're all wondering who is this guy who uh, lives in Manchester but went to America and here we are watching a video of him in America. And so everyone's wondering, who, but no one knew who I was. Well, as it would work out, as God would have it, someone that I'd not seen in a very long time uh, worked at the message, and I didn't even know they worked at the message, but they knew me because they were they used to go. Oh, I used to be part of a church. They were We were part of the same church some years back, basically. And so this person was on the leadership team at the, at the Message Trust. They sent me a message to say, hey, James, we just saw this video of you uh, at a meeting in America. I think you should come around and meet with Annie Hawthorne. So they organized this meeting with me and Andy Hawthorne and Andy Hawthorne met with me and his words were, James would we'll like you to be our prayer coordinator. So he hired me on the back of that video. And basically on the back of that, I started working as a prayer coordinator. <laughs> I never planned to do this as a job. Anyway, as I'm working as prayer coordinator. Did you know I started... what
1: a prayer coordinator was at that
0: point? Uh, no, no, I had no idea what that was. And, I mean, I, I knew it was somebody to do a prayer and just get people <laughs> praying. But it was like, I, yeah, it was all new. And so that's how I ended up in ministry, basically. And while I was working for the Message Trust, Prayer Storm started as a ministry on the side, uh, which the heart of Prayer Storm was to get young people praying. Because as I started to get involved in prayer meetings, I realized it was mostly women, um, no men and no young people. So I I started feeling really burdened to get the young people praying. And so that evolved into prayer storm. And that was in 2009. And here we are all these years later.
1: So tell us a little bit more about what prayer storm looks like now, because now it's its it's own ministry, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. What do you do? So prayer storm has evolved and is evolving. And uh, the essence of what we do is really to be a catalyst for prayer in the body of Christ. And we do that various ways. We we do uh, events, training events. We do conferences that are centered around, I guess, the prophetic word of what God's doing right now, but also mobilizing the church to be intercessors, educating the church in intercession, as well as we put on prayer meetings. So we believe in capacity building. What I mean by that is we believe in building the church to be strong in spirit, because God is going to move, and if he's going to do what he wants to do and we're going to be a part of it, then we have to be strong in spirit. So we are in the business of stretching people in their in their spiritual uh, disciplines and the spiritual kind of exercises uh, to be people that can spend quality and long times in the presence of God. Uh, and so we do that various ways. One of the things that we're passionate about is raising up prayer leaders because as you appreciate You know, when you talk about a worship leader, most people in the church appreciate what it means to be a worship leader because we see that every Sunday. But I have been stirred to challenge the church to consider prayer leaders just as important as they think of worship leaders because just as the worship leader is there to help the church to worship or stir the church in worshiping God. I believe the church needs to focus on also seeing prayer leaders raised up within that context that are carrying a grace to stir the church or help, help guide the church in effective intercessory prayers.
1: Yeah, it's, that's a really interesting point isn't it because if you think about your average sunday morning service in a, in a you know churches up and down the uk you have your person who will be leading the music whether that is sort of you know worship in an evangelical church or more traditional choirs or hymns or whatever it is you'll have your person that's preaching we very rarely have a sort of person that we see up front that we know is the the, the person that is responsible for helping to lead the church into prayer
0: Yeah. So I often say to people that, you know, when you go to church and you have a worship leader, a worship team on the stage, you don't look at them and think, oh, they're there to do my worship for me. You don't think that way. You think, okay, well, they're there to help us all worship together. In fact, oftentimes I say to the church, the guys on the stage are not the worship team. We all together, we are the worship team. And so when you think that way, you realize we need to see more people raised within the church that have a grace to lead people in prayer. Because You probably noticed there's some people that love to pray, but they are not prayer leaders in that when they get the microphone and they start to pray, you find that more people are disengaged and not stirred to pray. However, there's some other people that when they get the mic and they start to lead prayer, for some reason, it seems like as they pray, everyone is stirred in faith to pray. That means they carry an anointing and a grace for leadership in that area. It doesn't mean we just outsource our prayer lives to them and say, hey, pray for me for this, for this. You know, that's what most people do in church. Oh, can you pray for me? It's not wrong to do that, but we need to realize we need leaders and they're not there to do it all, uh, all the praying for us. We're there to do it together while they lead us in it.
1: Okay, so if you had your way, James, in your average church service on a Sunday morning, would what would prayer look like for the sort of the body of Christ collective? Would, would we spend as much time praying as we do singing, as we do talking about the word?
0: Absolutely, but I, you see, I'm really passionate about this because you see, Jesus said, "My house will be called the house of prayer." Now, I love worship, I love prophecy, I love all these things, but he didn't say my house would be called a house of worship. He didn't say my house would be called a house of preaching. He didn't say my house would be called even a house of mission. Not that those things are not important, but he declared that the primary identity and the DNA of the house of God, the church, will be a house of prayer for all nations. So if I were to have my way and, you know, the Lord gave me influence and grace to do what I feel he wants to do and inspire leaders across the church— I would encourage them to have prayer meetings before the services start that's a part of the service. So instead of just going, okay, now we're going to start with our time of worship and everyone gets up and worship, as part of the service, prayer is incorporated into it. And so it's not something that we just do on a Wednesday night or maybe once a month. It's, it's a part of how we do life. The early church, they you know, they continued in prayer together. It was a part of their culture. And so by having done this for many years, I realized that uh, you you kind of don't learn to pray until you do it. And you do it a lot. And you do it in an environment where people love to do it. There's a spirit that rubs off. And many uh, leaders I've also found struggle with prayer meetings. And so they will say they're going to have a prayer meeting for an hour, but they spend maybe 45 minutes preaching and then maybe 10 minutes singing, and then the last five minutes, some wimpish prayers, and they call that an hour of prayer. No, it's not an hour prayer. You just had a service. That's, that's not, that's not. So, so I'm like, okay, if you're going to pray, then do it like the early church did it. You know, Let, let's pray. I'm not saying the singing and the worship and all that is bad, but we need to really give a lot of time to the things that heaven puts a lot of weight on. And I believe in the New Testament, especially the book of Acts, you cannot get away from the praying church it was just in fact i'll wrap up by saying this the early church was birthed out of a corporate prayer meeting just think about it they were there for 10 days praying and it was out of that the church was born jesus started the church how he wants it in other words he started the church in a prayer meeting context he started the church how he wants it now he wants the church how he started it and the church right now has deviated from how we started it. It's become something that we've delegated to some maybe old women at the back of the church uh, that have nothing else to do, have retired and they just want to pray. And so we just outsource our prayers to them and all that no 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 he wants us to be the people of prayer and i just want to remind people there's no such thing as a gift of prayer either oh you've got the gift i don't that's the problem you think some people have the gift and you don't and that makes you want to outsource your prayer life to them which is a massive problem so we all learn to pray and it can be challenging on our flesh but that is part of the process of learning to grow in it So don't shy away from the awkwardness. Embrace it, and you will grow in it and become a warrior in prayer.
1: Which of these topics has not been covered on premierchristianity.com? UFOs, near-death experiences, Doctor Who, Christ's Return, the faith of celebrities, and Andrew Tate? Trick question. We don't shy away from any topic. We cover faith as it affects us in daily life. And give you the bigger picture. PremierChristianity.com. Special podcast subscription offer at premierchristianity.com slash podcast. Yeah, I think it is one of those things that most Christians actually would say. I find this really hard. There are not many people I know that have a very vibrant prayer life who would say, I find this easy mm-hmm. and and so maybe perhaps that's one of the reasons why we do it so little in church because we feel that engaging with some worship is easier um and you know listening to a, someone preach is easier. But I wonder do you do you have a theory or any idea about why? why as humans do we find prayer, which is really just talking with God? why do we find that so difficult? Well, because it's not
0: what comes naturally to the human nature or what we'll call the flesh, the fallen man. It doesn't come. In fact, Romans 8 says it this way. We don't know how we should pray as we ought to. And you can add more to that by saying we don't even want to pray <laughs> as we ought to, because it, it's a picture of the King James Version's calls it infirmities. It's a picture of our weakness within us. And so it, it, it's a poverty that we have within us. But many people run away from it as opposed to embracing it because Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And so the church needs to be taught that the fact that you don't feel like praying does not mean you're less spiritual. It just means you have to confront that poverty and realize that feeling is your flesh. Your spirit, however, on the other hand, wants to pray because you're 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 built to commune with God. In fact, Jesus said it this way in Luke 18: man ought always to pray. So he's declaring the purpose, or one of the one of the things he had in his mind when mankind was created. He gave a parable teaching that man ought always to pray. Jesus was making a statement about the purpose. Of mankind so if i were to say well this microphone ought always to capture my sound this microphone ought always to do you're, you're declaring what it was created to do you know you're not declaring you're not just suggesting something so if this microphone is not capturing my sound and passing it to the next thing that's amplifying it blah 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 if it's not doing that then the microphone is malfunctioning so What I'm trying to say is if mankind, if we're not communing with God, if you're not praying, you're malfunctioning. (laughs) So you are built to do this in your spirit. But the problem is your flesh. Now, worship and teaching and preaching, these things are okay. They're not wrong, but you have to learn to embrace those areas of your spirituality that help you to be aware of your poverty of spirit because it helps you to lean into God some more. And I don't know anyone that prays right now that found it easy or finds it easy all the time, but you have to understand that it's part of the process. As you lean into God, as you give yourself to seeking him, there comes a point where you overcome the flesh. And this is where it gets exciting. That's why I've been doing this for many years now, because there is a real excitement and joy in encountering God on your own, and I just want people to get into that place and to realize there's nothing else this world has to offer. Now, initially, you might you might you might find it challenging. So I like to say it this way: we have to embrace boredom as a pathway to encounter. We will not encounter God if we don't learn to shut out the noise, the distractions. And initially, you're going to feel that bored. You're going to feel that the flesh is going to cry out. Your, your hand's going to want to reach for the phone. You're going to want to grab on to, you know, watch something on the TV. You're going to want to, you know, I don't know, go on Netflix and di- whatever it is, Disney+. Plus. The distractions are going to be crying out to you. Your flesh is going to be crying out. But that's where you rise in your spirit and say, flesh, shut up. You're not going to have your way here today. I am going to spend time in the presence of God. And when you learn to stay, then the the reality of his presence begins to manifest. It's just like any other relationship. Because I hear people say things like, oh, you know what, James, it's not about uh, quantity. It's about quality. And I I get what they're trying to say, but that concept doesn't work in a relationship. Imagine a husband saying to his wife, you know what? It's not about quantity. It's about quality. So let's just have this five minute power conversation. I I don't know if you're married or not. Swanky
1: meal once a month, and then I'm gonna ignore you. Imagine imagine that
0: that's not gonna go down well in a marriage, would it? So so the reality is the more quality you have, the more quantity of that quality you want. And with God, if you want to get quality, you have to spend quantity to get to the quality. It's just the way it is because there's so much distraction sometimes you have no idea how much distraction is going how much noise is going on in you until you get to pray then your thoughts are wandering everywhere and that's just showing you how distracted you are so for some people the first hour of prayer is getting rid of all the distractions and then you get into the place where you're so there's so much to prayer and i believe the more the church journeys in this and encounters god the more we're going to realize, my goodness, this world has nothing else to offer us that's better than this. We need God, and He's going to drive people to seek Him more.
1: Well it's, it's really interesting talking about that level of distraction because that is you know something that we know is a massive problem in our society and it's getting yeah. worse and it's I find it fascinating that you feel called you know your first calling was to, to a generation of young people to rise up in prayer when they are potentially the generation that is most distracted more distracted I have this conversation with my teenagers all the time and you know, we were talking about it the other day we we're on a long car journey and I was like put your phone down like my daughter loves art she loves creativity I'm like you know going to create anything good if you're currently like you need to be bored you need to sit in the boredom yeah and oh, it, it's you're
0: talking my language that's exactly what i'm saying to my <laughs> 10 year old i'm teaching my 10 year old the same thing what you just said there about you know teenagers you know that oh, i'm bored that i i you know i have nothing else to do right now I, I said well it's okay you don't always have to be entertained my job is not to always get you entertained all the time and, you know i pray with him regularly because we go to, we we have a long drive to school. So we spend a big chunk of it praying. And, you know, in the earlier days when we started doing this, he was so easily distracted. But I've noticed that as we've done it more and more together, and he's got to pray, he prays in tongues about 30 minutes most days by himself. I've noticed that his focus has increased and he started to understand the discipline of it. You know, in the earlier days, it would be, I mean, even not too long ago, it would be difficult to get him to just focus. I'm like, Justice, I can hear you praying, but I can tell you're distracted. You know, I can tell your mind is not in this. And so after a while of just going through some exercises and showing him what it means, how it is to focus and how to get himself engaged, different ways to get his body even just engaged, I've noticed he started to grow in that place of focus. It's a, it's a massive, 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 uh, uh, I guess, uh issue for our generation, just the amount of distractions we have, the amount of things being thrown at us right now trying to get our attention. Um, So I realized even in my own personal prayer time that uh, oftentimes the big huddle is getting to the place where prayer happens. So it's like sometimes you have to pray until you get to the place where prayer happens. I don't know if that makes sense. When I say pray until you get to a place, it's when you start praying, for me, I often start in that place of the distractions are so real. So I keep pressing through those distractions and I'm still praying, but I know I haven't quite got to the place where it's flowing from me like a river. It's flowing from me with e with ease. So I push through and I get to the place where prayer happens. And when you get to that place, there's such an ease and a flow. Time just flies by. Have you ever spent time praying? You thought you prayed for three hours, you looked at the time and it was only 15 minutes. That's, you know, that happens to all of us. And it's just a sign that you're in the outer court is what I call it. You're still in the outer court. But the more you journey into the inner court, into the deeper realms of the presence of God, the more time does not have that kind of, you, you, your, your your perception of time changes because you start to enjoy God as opposed to endure God. <laughs>
1: and it's in you have within prayer storm you value that um involving all ages in prayer really highly oh, Don't yes I have a oh, kid yes. dream so what would be your advice to parents or youth leaders or even church leaders that, that are listening to this they're thinking i want to involve the young people in my church or my own kids in prayer more how do we help um especially you know young children like your son who is 10 you know and under yeah. how do we involve kids in prayer really well
0: Oh that's a great question. The 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 enemy is out to get the next generation with such aggression. Even the cartoons these days, if you notice, they're very spiritual and oftentimes they're very they carry something else, not the spirit of God. And there's so much that's been released to capture the next generation. And so as leaders, as parents, we have to be so 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 vigilant but also so deliberate on uh, raising our kids in prayer i love the scripture that says train up a child in the way he should go and when he grows up he will not depart from it when you have a personal trainer working with you at the gym they get you to do things you don't want to do things that you know are good for you that you might struggle to do if you're on your own but they're there to stretch you and so in the same way i understand the nature of the flesh understand to a certain degree my flesh so it means I understand what my son is dealing with in the in the flesh. So I teach him about what the flesh is like. And I say, look, initially you may be feeling this, but that is part of the flesh you're feeling. And so there was a time when Justice, his name is Justice, was eight years old. We're teaching him about entertainment and how the more of it you have, it causes you to be dull spiritually. And one day we were just in a, Live stream moment, and he just came out with this profound statement, and he said, "Well, the more entertained you are in the flesh, the more bored you'll be in the spirit, and that's true. The more you feed yourself this stuff." So, in terms of practical practical ways to help children grow in prayer, get them involved. From an early age, even when I'm having my personal prayer time and my kids come in, I get them involved. There was a time, you know, I came home very late in the middle of the night. And so when I was praying the next day in the morning on a Saturday, it was a bit later on and the kids were up. And so, you know, if you've got a young family, you know what it's like. You can't really have any quiet time for real. (laughs) (laughs) But I I still carried on having my prayer time. So Justice came in. It's like, oh, Dad, I want to play games. And so I just thought, well, Justice, you know what? Daddy's having some prayer time right now. So you can't play your video games. How about, because I don't tend to play video games that much. I said, okay, how about you pray with daddy right now for the next hour? And then I can play your video games with you later. It's like okay, deal. And so he sat. now he's very energetic and run around and would not sit still. Well, he sat there and prayed with me for an hour, mostly praying in tongues, praying over his sisters, praying as we're praying over everything. And I noticed he was praying similar to how I was praying in that sometimes I'll pray in tongues and then I'll pray in my understanding in English and use scriptures and make declarations. And he was he was following the same pattern and I was amazed and realized, actually, you disciple people in prayer, not by just teaching them the theology of it, but by doing it with them and helping them in that process. And so that's one of the ways I want to encourage parents to do this. And also with people who are involved in kids, church and things like that, you know, to begin to. Pray and ask God for ways in which we can engage the children in the act of praying. Not just praying for them, but getting them activated in prayer. I think it's there's something about prayer that, that when you get into an environment where prayer is happening, it's like it rubs off on you as well. It, it's it's more caught than taught, even though it should be taught, as in theology and teaching it. There's something about catching the spirit of it when you're around it. So parents, I would say, don't underestimate your lifestyle of prayer in front of your kids. Get them to be part of it. And then right now, Justice, you know, he has, uh, he reads his Bible most days, you know, and then he prays most days by himself. You know, so that's a part of his rhythm of life. You wake up in the morning, just Justice, even before you go to the bathroom, brush it, anything, you have your time with God. It's, it's just a part of our lifestyle. So he knows that that is how we live. You know, and then he starts to have his own encounters with God and he starts to share with us things that God's put on his heart. And so you realize that God starts to meet with him bit by bit and he starts to grow in his love for God as well.
1: I think uh, I became a Christian when I was a young teenager in the, in the middle of the 90s. So it was it was a very exciting time in the UK church. It was the, the middle of quite a lot of big charismatic revival. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Toronto blessing yeah. was going on. And, yeah. and that was the church I became a Christian into. So I didn't mm. realize that there was anything else i just thought mm-hmm. that was christianity mm-hmm. and i found it quite interesting as i've grown older we were talking about this earlier on in the year with the asbury revival going on in the states mm-hmm. and stuff that we were kind of talking about has has that period in church life in the uk gone when is it going to when are we going to see another move of God happen like that again Mm -hmm. um what do you think about that have you do you sense that God's doing anything particular in the UK church right now what are you what are you praying into what are you dreaming and visioning
0: wow Wow. well everything you said there that's what we're dreaming and praying into we haven't seen it manifest in its fullness but every now and again we see pockets of God moving with young people I want to uh just Draw your attention back to that scripture I quoted in Joel 2.28, because I believe that's what the Lord is doing in these last days. And that as revival outpouring, I believe it was just a glimpse of something that is yet to come in its fullness. And I believe the move of God we're going to see in the United Kingdom is going to have young people at the forefront of it. It's not that the older ones will not be part of it, because that verse talks about, you know, old men dreaming dreams, young men seeing visions. And there's a there's a emphasis on the younger generation, but there's also a connection to the older generation. And so I believe uh, God is going to bring this kind of mutual honor the young of the old, the old of the young. And there's going to be a real fusion of uh, God is God of uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The, like, almost like the connecting of the generations. And so a lot of what we're contending for right now is an awakening of the intercessors, an awakening of the heart of prayer, especially in the hearts of young people, but the church at large. I don't know if you're familiar with the Hebrides revival. Um, how God moved, you know, many years ago, uh, and it was these two old women that committed to pray in a fervent, consistent way that was the beginning of this outpouring. And so we are convinced that something about seeing young people beginning to catch this passion of prayer is going to be a real key part of sparking this move. Um, and, and and so we we we're believing for God to do this. I don't believe the Lord has brought people like me to the UK, uh, just to be here for the sake of having nice ministry, you know, uh, itinerary and, you know, preaching here and there, you know, I I say to preachers, I'm more into prayer than preaching. I want to (laughs) see, I want to see a move of God. And, And so I believe God is going to move in this nation. He hasn't forgotten the sacrifice of all the forefathers of this land who went to the different nations of the earth and gave their lives for the gospel. There's no way God has forgotten that sacrifice. And so he's sending people like me back here because he wants to move in the land. And perhaps that's why he's put this emphasis on my heart because this is going to be one of the key ways in which that spark is released in the church. This calling to the church for prayer like never before. So I am in faith, I'm believing for the youth and I'm seeing God do this in pockets, but in all honesty, I am not satisfied and I am still hungry and desperate and longing and crying out for more of his spirit with our children, our teenagers, our young people and across this nation.
1: Yeah, and lots of people that visited Asprey did comment on that um, sort of the interrelation between the old and the young, didn't they? That the the that, that Asbury seemed to have this element of sort of being just student led but that also you know the stewarding and the shepherding that that was coming from behind from the older the older people that were there who were just supporting them and releasing them wow. do you think that's going to be important as we go forward as a church
0: oh yes absolutely absolutely you know that the, the scripture that comes to mind is i think is in malachi where you know the lord prophesies and talks about the spirit of elijah you know that turns the heart of the fathers to the sons and the sons to the fathers and something about that marking the day of the Lord or marking the outpouring of God's spirit. And I do really believe that that is going to be one of those signs that would show us that God is at move or is getting ready to move when you begin to see a connecting of the generations. And so what you've just said there about what happened in Asbury, I believe that's like a picture of more of what's going to happen. What God starts in one generation increases in intensity. It It should increase anyway in intensity in the next generation. Like my children should be standing on my shoulders. They shouldn't be starting from scratch. Spiritually speaking, they like there's a lot of ground that I've gained. Now they're going to have their own walk with God, but there's certain things that they can break through easier in because I have kind of pushed in some way in there. So there's there's really going to be that connecting of the generations in this move of God. I believe it's going to be so significant. And I feel that's why maybe the Lord is put in on my heart and I feel even many others to begin to really focus on the youth, even children. You know, it's like there's a real need to begin to invest in children at this time, not just teenagers, but children, and begin to teach them spiritual things, help them to understand, because the world is getting more and more spiritual, and a lot of them have been indoctrinated with demonic ideologies, so they need to become more spiritually aware, and discerning to you know what's going on around them and know how to respond. You know, I said to my son, I said, you know, I'm I'm raising you up to be a warrior. It would be wrong of me to just have you come here and just play video games and watch TV all day. I'm not against you doing that, but you have to be a warrior because we're at war in the spirit. And I need to train you to be spiritually strong. That's why we're gonna do some of these things we're doing, so that you have a strong and sensitive spirit and you don't just fall by the wayside. And so the young people are going to be key in this move, And I believe the Lord is already prepping some of those key voices that would herald and that will spearhead the move of his spirit in this nation.
1: Now, uh, as we start to wrap up, James, I, I know there'll probably be some people listening to this who are like, that all sounds brilliant, but it's, you know, it's fabulous listening to these guys that head up massive prayer movements. They've obviously got this amazing prayer life and I've never struggled and have never gone through seasons where God hasn't answered their prayers. And, you know, I've been through whatever it is and, and God's never answered my prayer. Would you, be happy being a little bit vulnerable with us for a minute, oh, yes. And
0: perhaps sharing oh, yes.
1: I talk- <laughs> Absolutely. struggle or you know a time in your life when perhaps you you didn't feel that you heard God's voice for a while. Okay. Or, you know, what do we do when when things are really looking dire and, and we feel that God is distant?
0: Yeah, you know, I'm laughing because it, it's not that what you're saying is funny. It's just because I think what you're saying is so true, and I can see lots of people thinking that way. But that's far from the truth. <laughs> It really is. The fact that I'm out here saying, you know, yes, we're going to pray. Yeah, doesn't mean I feel all my prayers are answered. And I feel like every single time I'm hearing God speak to me in an audible voice and I'm seeing angels and I'm seeing Jesus walk. And you know.
1: That's what I imagine <laughs> your life to be
0: like. <laughs> Let's just be real here. This morning I had to get myself to pray. It didn't mean I felt anything when I prayed, but I prayed still. So I don't pray because I feel anything. I, I realize I do this because of relationship. I do it to commune with God. I do it to be healthy in my spirit. And so it doesn't mean I don't have challenges and struggles and, you know, people I prayed for that died. And I understand some of that. So it's not denial. I'm not denying the reality of some of these things. Now, I do understand there are areas that I lack revelation in. So People listening right now thinking, oh, God is not hearing me. And you lack revelation. That's what you lack. You lack his perspective on what's really going on. When you begin to see God's perspective, your whole attitude changes about your situation. And so a good prayer to pray is Ephesians 1, Father, Fill me with your spirit of wisdom and revelation. I want to see as you see. I want to discern what's really going on. And so um, the reason why I'm still passionate about prayer and seeking the Lord, even though there are areas of my life where I've not seen breakthrough, the reason why I'm still passionate about that is because I understand something fundamental to my prayer life, that my prayer life, the foundation of it is not receiving answers to prayer in terms of needs being met i am not treating god as a vending machine such that i come to him when i want him to do something for me I don't pray because I'm wanting God to do A, B, C, D, and that's my only mode. in prayer. Just think about relationships in your life. If anyone you have around you only comes to you when they want to get something from you, you're not going to really take that relationship that serious. And it's not that God is opposed to us coming to him that way, but, but what he has made a way for us to experience is far more than just us coming to him to get something. And so I am more fascinated by knowing him and going deeper in him and him changing me. And the the thing is, as that happens, my perspective about the struggle shifts. Now, I do see breakthroughs too. I'm not going to lie. I do see incredible answers to prayer. I do see God heal people. I do see God provide in ways that blow my mind. However, I also see things that don't happen the way I want them to. I also see that sometimes I pray it doesn't happen like I'm expecting it to. So in those moments, instead of me being offended, I actually see it as an opportunity to be drawn in to seeking God deeper. Think about the disciples. They prayed for a demon to be cast out and the demon didn't come out. They didn't get offended. They went, You know what they did? They went to Jesus and says, why didn't it happen? And they were asking from a place of humility, authenticity, sincerity. And then Jesus said, well, that didn't come up because this one only comes up by prayer and fasting. Now, some Christians take that as a formula to say, okay, well, any situation that's difficult, we're just going to apply prayer and fasting to it. But that's not really the point. The point is, when we don't see the breakthrough, we need to learn to go back to Jesus in humility. Jesus, have I missed something here? (laughs) Many Christians are offended at God. When offense gets in your heart, you can't really pray effectively at that point because now you're going to be approaching God with unbelief because offense builds that unbelief. It builds that resistance. And so you have to step into trust. There's so much we don't know. There's so much we, the greatest theologian on the planet, listen, there's so much we have no clue about God. (laughs) As in, there's just so much we don't know. Yes, it's there in the scriptures, but I'm telling you, unless the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to it, we don't really know. And so I love coming before God with humility, saying, God, have mercy. Lord, help me. Help me. Lord, I need you. Lord, I'm feeling really upset about this. See, and I'm asking for you to help me to just perceive this the right way. And many times I've seen the Lord shift my emotions. God is concerned about how you feel. If you're feeling discouraged in prayer right now, be honest with God. There's no point trying to hide. Lord, I am feeling discouraged, but no, this is not what you have for me. Lord, would you awaken me? Would you stir up courage on the inside? Would you lead me to resources or lead me to people or lead me in a way that I am taken out of this pit? Whatever pit you might be. You might even be struggling with depression. Lord, I'm asking for your grace right now. Whatever this is, I ask that I be lifted. You see, there are different ways the Holy Spirit can lead you to pray. And when the spirit is praying through you, and when you're praying from that place where you're aligned with him in in humility, things really begin to shift. I think it it, it seems to me like God's greatest kind of objective is changing us from the inside out, not just doing stuff to us in terms of blessing us with things on the outside, material blessings and possessions and opportunities. God is in the business of transforming us from the inside. And that process is not always fun. Uh, Sometimes some of the most difficult trials, the Lord uses it. I'm not saying he sent it, but he uses it to bring us to a place where we conform to his image more and more. So be encouraged. Don't give up. You've been listening to The Profile in association with Premier Christianity magazine.